So I'm here today with Corbin Jones, estimable associate now, yeah, professor, Indeed. at uh, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill in the biology department. And the Carolina Center for Genome Sciences. And the Carolina Center for Genome Sciences, which is what? Genomics is a very integrative field. We pull in everyone from math, engineering, chemistry, to the social sciences, to library sciences, and obviously very strongly in the biomedical and uh, biological fields. So it's to bring a, a common structure where people with interest in all those different things could sort of be pulled together to interact better. Which is the problem that everybody is having now, right? Is that everyone talks about silos, and everyone talks about departments being separate entities, which is probably the most basic question of evolutionary biology, right? Yeah. Is competition versus cooperation. And what is the proper balance between those two things in any particular given environment? Well, it's an interesting one, right? Because some organisms, as simple as bacteria, cooperate, right? You have biofilms, that scum that's on the uh, uh, your shower curtain. It's actually a collection of independent bacterial organisms, sometimes even different species, that form almost cooperative groups to sort of protect themselves from being washed away and washed down the drain. Is yours orange? <laughs> the, one, the one in my shower is always orange. Yeah, I don't know generally, why. generally, mine are. I, I remember being in Yellowstone yeah. at one point, and there was uh, and there was all those colors in the pools, right? But the ones in my shower are always orange. I don't know why that is. Uh, like that, that Syracuse shade. Yeah. Well, it's funny you bring that up, is, is that uh, I've always thought it would be a fun project to, to take different types of bacterial media and, and treat it in such a way that I would essentially grow a painting on it. So you could sort of watch from the agar different sorts of, you know, it starts out just as a plain, clear piece of bacterial agar, you know, and, and, and then over time you start seeing different colors coming in as different bacterial colonies grow on it and then transition. You know, maybe you have some that show up first as a very sort of soft yellow, almost beige, and then they get taken over by maybe a fungus that's blue and green and have sort of media antibiotic combinations of the plate dictate the, the colors and the succession of colors. I, I'm sure that I've seen some stuff people doing that kind of thing, and particularly it's people who are taking very high magnification photographs of the organisms on the plate, mm -hmm. more than the patterns of the plate themselves. But that sounds, that sounds like your dad's influence. Could be. The could watercolors. Be. Yeah, yeah. Could very easily be. Yeah, probably is. But anyway. Yeah, so, so co cooperation versus competition. I mean... The funny thing is, as, as evolutionary biologists, we always like to simplify down to individual fitness. What's the best thing for you to do? And, and the reason we, we simplify down to that is that it's a nice sort of starting point because we know that, that you can describe most of evolutionary behavior based off individual actor fitness. What the best move is for you? It only gets challenging in a few, in a minority of cases where you see other forces come to play. 
I can explain 90% of what's going on by an individual competing either with other members of its own species or by competing for resources with other species. The exceptions are what I'm interested in. Well, humans are probably one of those exceptions, aren't they? Indeed. All social animals are the exceptions. And you might say, well, there seems to be a lot of social animals out there. The grand scheme No. Right? Most organisms are not social. Your tree is not social. Your bacteria, generally, is not social. Um, yeah, humans definitely are social. So when do we make a decision not to do our self-interest? Well, your kid, for instance. Why would you not, you know, do something stupid with your kid that you may put some other person's kid to do? Well, obviously that kid carries your genes, right? And there's been clear evolutionary selection for you to take care of your genes even when they're in someone else. That's one of the classic ones. So a famous evolutionary biologist, uh, J.B.S. Haldane, was once asked, you know, would you give your life for your brother? He said, no, but I'd give my life for two of my brothers. Because on average, you have... 50% you share 50% of your illicit genes with your brothers. And you can break it down. Maybe four of your nephews, you know, 16 of your cousins. You can sort of come up with, with, with very elegant and simple mathematics. Exactly when do you break even on your death versus how many of your family members to survive makes you the right move to make. Well, this is what I tell my students is that am I... Am I happy to be paying part of my nephew and niece's college tuition? Yes. Am I going to pay your college tuition? Probably not. Because <laughs> we're not closely enough related. But that gets to one of the interesting points. is At, at, at what point practically does that do those numbers break down? You know? and, and how does a person, non-mathematically minded person know who's closely enough related? Great question. Um, and you don't, right? So if you imagine some simple, small hunter-gatherer society where most of the people you spend your life with are to some degree relations, you could very easily imagine selection for the sort of kin selection behavior. That's what we call it. Because you're selecting... By doing something that benefits your relatives, your kin, you help your own fitness in the largest sense, the fitness of your teens. This sort of kin selection model works best in small, closely related groups. And so you can see if you're in a small hunter-gatherer society where almost everyone around you is some degree of kin, habits and culture of reciprocity really starts to emerge. It's, it's, you're going now beyond the genetic program taking care of it, but you start to reinforce sort of cultural mores that, that, that support the idea that you're going to do things that are going to help your kin or your community or your family. It's been very interesting to watch this go to a much larger society where the chances of you running into someone you're related to in New York or in Greensboro or Chapel Hill, pretty small. But yet we have many of these same rules and behavior that really came out of this. this right, and then 
new rules, cultural rules that build on top of that to do the same thing for ever larger groups of people, right? So now economics yeah. is basically the science of how do you get people who you're not related to, who you may never do business with again, how do you, how do you cooperate with the Chinese, yep. who you can't even talk to? Well, you hit an interesting thing on the head there, right? I mean, is it, is that reciprocity. So in the few cases where you look at non-relatives cooperating, vampire bats are a classic one. They fly out at night, they drink some blood from a cow, and then they come back, and it's actually very hard for them to find their meals, and they will share it with the other bats in, in the community. And they actually keep track of who reciprocates. And so it's called reciprocal altruism, where, where, where you... So the bats have accountants? They, 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 they mentally keep track of who plays and who plays and who pays. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Um, it's, again, complicated by kin relationships, but it's very clear that non-kin can participate in these reciprocal relationships. So, again, getting back to your economic thing, how do you incentivize people to do this when they're not sure they'll ever run into each other again. That gets very complicated. That's, that's how economists make all our money. Yeah. Thanks to Corbin for being on the show and for once again allowing me to crash overnight at his house and giving me breakfast. He'll be back next week where we'll be talking more about graduate school and less about inclusive fitness. VSI is produced by me, Randall Hayes, at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or at our website, which is http slash slash variationselectioninheritance.podbean.com. Thanks for listening.